Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We're back to reluctantly talk about exactly what went wrong in an embarrassing loss to Wolves before jumping into a review of the January transfer window and previewing the daunting Liverpool matchup ahead. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. We're back. I believe this is episode 20 now, so we're we're well in uh, we're well on our way into our second decade of episodes here. Uh, Scott is with me after a little hiatus there. Scott, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited for this uh, giant killing effort West Ham have ahead of them uh, with Liverpool waiting for us on Monday night. Um, but before we jump into Liverpool, we have to look back at Wolves to see exactly what and where West Ham what went wrong and where West Ham went wrong in that match. Um, it was never going to be an easy match against Wolves, who are a really impressive uh, uh, promotion side this year. But where do you think West Ham put their foot wrong as far as this match went? Uh, I think, uh, looking back at it, I just I didn't think we had any real grip on the game. Um, the first half was better than the second, but it just seemed to all be a bit lackluster. There seemed to be no real drive. Uh, every time we got the ball forward, there was no real composure and sort of insight as to what was going to happen. Uh, the only thing that was keeping us in it was Fabianski, and he can only do it for so long. Uh, he was unbelievable in that match. It was incredible to watch it, him uh, watch him work. Oh, definitely. But to say like when you lose three 0 and the man, your man of the match is your goalkeeper, there's something wrong with the rest of the team. Yeah. Uh, it would be different if we played a rampant Man City side and that was the result but it's Wolves like, they've got a good team but we really we really should be competing with teams around us and we don't seem to want to play those matches and I don't know why so, you so think, would you boil it down to being a mental issue for the team rather than anything physical right now uh, I will say we looked really tired. Uh, I don't know whether that's sort of just a mental thing, sort of manifesting itself in the players. But there was no, none of the players played at their best, so they all played subpar games. Like Rice was still Rice; he still like got in where he could and everything like that. But I think when it also really showed when we tried to bring. Quality and off the bench, which it just wasn't there. Like, we had to try and change our game plan massively. It didn't happen. Uh, I think I think more mental than capable, like capability. But yeah, I'm not sure. But I'm not particularly sure about the team that was put out and how we were going to deal with uh, Wolves' three-man midfield uh, because they ran the game and we really suffered. Yeah, and it's something that kind of confused me heading into the match was how and why. Uh, Samir Nasri was injured. He didn't play in the in the cup game. He missed the last two matches now with injury. I don't know where it happened. Must have been the training ground. But he looked so smooth when playing with Arnautovic against uh, in our in our FA Cup matchup. Uh, who who was that FA Cup matchup against Birmingham? Sorry, he was uh, he looked really good against Birmingham. Early passing play on the inside. It looked comfortable and and him and. Arnautovic had chemistry for sure, and then he's just out of the lineup all of a sudden, and that really hurts the team because as well as Snodgrass had played this season, he's not been on form now for a few weeks, really since December, and uh, he doesn't, I would, I like him better on the side than I do in the middle simply because he can whip in crosses a little bit better from distance, and when you have him in the middle of the midfield, he's trying to dictate play, uh, he wants to get outside wide, whether it's on the left or right side, so it just seems like we're trying to again. I think I said this for our uh, our, our last season. Uh, it seems like West Ham are again trying to hammer square pegs into round holes because the team is so injured that we don't have our first or second choice for a lot of positions. But 
it, it like you said, it seemed almost like they were looking through the game. You know, we should win this game, so we don't have to try. And then all of a sudden, it blows up in your face. Uh, and that happened really in spades here. Um, outside of Fabianski, was there any player that you thought had a strong game for West Ham? So I think I think Rice doesn't have anything else. I don't. I don't really know. He doesn't particularly have a bad game, but then like everyone's calling for him to be dropped back into central defence, and he's, but in, he's the only one keeping any kind of shape in the middle. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Rice is a, a candidate fish for always playing all right. Um, just trying to remember, to be honest, I'm like, so so sort of despondent after that game just because I didn't think they put any like really anything as much show no one in the attack couldn't be really set to have a good game so I don't think we had a shot on target so four shots zero on target uh, yeah that's lack of quality in front of goal that day so yeah uh, I don't think anyone could be really said to have had a decent or passable game yeah and I I would even challenge the Declan Rice uh, the, the Declan Rice you know a, a or uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, uh, the recognition from having a good game because the second goal is, is straight up on him. He doesn't mark Raul Jimenez and he, and he mm. loses track of him. And he has a simple tap-in on a corner that gets whipped into the box, clears a bunch of players and lands on his foot on the ground. He didn't have to go up and get it at all. Uh, that simply shouldn't happen, especially when you have the likes of Diop and Ogbonna, who are tall players that should be out there to, to intercept the ball and Antonio, who's great in the air. Uh, but again, that, that does fall to Rice to sort of to sort of make sure Jimenez isn't free. He's their main threat when it comes to corner kicks. Something I did notice, though, on the first goal uh, that Roman Say scored for them, it was uh, a corner, sorry. That was a corner. The second one was from a free kick just outside the corner. Um, Declan Rice did an amazing job of shepherding Jimenez away from the ball. He turned, he, he with his body, blocked Jimenez to make sure his back yeah. was to the net and completely took him out of the play. It was perfect. It was textbook. And it looked like... Rice was trying to organize something with Fabianski, and then by the time he looked up, the ball was in the air, and him and Ez had already met it. So, um, yeah, it, it, it just looked like there was that sharpness that was missing, and, and it was just frustrating. Uh, it almost seemed like, to me, the team was waiting for something to happen. Okay, we'll get this player in. Okay, we'll do that. And it, it you can't, as a player, you can't get caught up in that, especially in January, because it, it just doesn't bode well for the mentality of playing the game when you're focused on other things off the pitch. And the team looked distracted and despondent and not really up for a match. And Wolves took it to us. Yes, very much so. Just uh, one team was there, one team wasn't. And we got the result we deserved. Yeah, and Wolves have gone on today to beat Everton 3-1. Um, Everton looked as bad as we did. It, it was incredible, really. Uh, this Wolves team, it's funny. They're probably the only team that plays consistently with a three-at-the-back formation. And they have so much success with it. Just, it's unbelievable how, how how much they can actually do it as a as a team based off of having three center backs. But they're overlapping wingers almost, or, or wing backs rather, almost play as forwards for most of the game. And also, uh, Leander Dendonker scored for them today. So um, West Ham's linked player last January came to Wolves for a cut price in the summer, and he's now pretty much cemented himself in that midfield beside Ruben Neves and Xiao Moutinho uh, and got himself into the box for a nice goal. But, uh, yeah, it, it was, I don't know, a game you want to forget, but one I don't think you can because there were so many errors in that match. Um, I guess maybe a, a, a more poignant question would be, what were your thoughts on Arnautovic in that game? He did come off. Um, with what was appeared or thought to be a broken foot at the time, left the match in a walking boot on crutches and, and left in a in an ambulance to get a scan. But before he was injured, did you think that he looked a little bit more poised and, and ready to play? Uh, not particularly. I didn't. Uh, I, I found his attitude to be a little bit more petulant rather than aggressive this time. But he's, he's always got that kind of strop about him. It's just the way he plays. Uh, but usually it's kind of focused at the other team or it's directed towards certain players. This was, it, he felt very much like, okay, well, I'm here. Oh, well. Uh, he, he just, he sort of seemed resigned to the fact he was playing for us rather than excited to be doing so again. Uh, he didn't seem to have that motivation to really push uh, into the game. And... I don't know. Uh, I think 
I hope Pellegrini's got something up his sleeve to get him going. Maybe maybe the Liverpool game is something that's going to act as a bit more of a catalyst for him, but we shouldn't be having to motivate players to play for us. Uh, I know that's part of the manager's role, but when they're playing, they should be giving their all. Uh, Arnie didn't really seem like he was doing it. No, and, and to get injured uh, and, and walk off the pitch, I mean, his he was clearly in a lot of pain. Um, but on the complete other end of that, you have the biggest hero to zero from Arnautovic and zero to hero in Fabianski, who takes two cleats to the arm and to the face and refuses to come out of the game because it would have left West Ham down to 10 men when they were already chasing the game at that point. So um, you kind of that's the, that's the mentality you want. That's the mentality that we saw last year with uh, Josh Cullen when he lost a couple of teeth and uh, went off the pitch, got cleaned up, got a new jersey, a new kit on, and, and ran back out there and finished the match instead of getting substituted. That's what you want to see from your team. And, you know, we would have probably preferred to have seen Josh Cullen in the midfield other than Mark Noble, who looked like he was just chasing the ball all game long. So there was that there's that different level of commitment out there. Um, something I, I want to ask you, and it was sort of brought to light in the last few games here, most notably with Mazuaku and Ogbonna in that back four. Um, Issa Diop was rated as this Manchester United PSG-level player that West Ham are going to lose this season, if, if not after this season, in, in the near future because he's so prominent. Uh, you know, French under-21 captain, was captain of Toulouse as well was at the time West Ham's record signing at 22 million or 21 million pounds. And now all of a sudden he looks like he's got a lot of holes in his game. Do you think that's wear and tear of a season and, and teams figuring him out? Or is that completely reliant on him playing with Angelo Ogbonna over Fabian Balbuena? Balbuena, sorry. Yeah, I think the is a talented player. I think he's got a good physical attributes and he, the technical side, I, in terms of, making tackles, getting headed in. He does seem to be a good defender. He does seem to lack a little bit in the way of organisation and maybe positional play. When he plays alongside of Bonner, he seems that neither of them are rigid enough in their position to give the other one a footing to work off of. So um, when Balboina plays, Balboina is always in the right position and then Diop goes, OK, I need to be here because he's there and he doesn't have that with Obama and he doesn't seem to have, he seems to be in a bit of bad form as well, but I, th- I still think he's a quality defender. I just, he's, he's not being played, or the people he's being played alongside aren't giving him the help that he needs to really shine. Uh, I think if we had uh, about back, we would be seeing a much better Diop, whether we'd be seeing the same Diop we saw in the first half of the season, uh, Hard to say. Uh, I think he has dropped off a little bit, and maybe he's a bit frustrated at the change in defensive partner. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm I'm willing to give him, you know, every single benefit of the doubt when it comes to his play now because it, it seems too coincidental for his form to drop simply when Balbuena went down, right? Yeah. So I I don't want to dwell on this match too much longer. I think there's a lot of lessons, like I said, to be learned from it for the team. Do you have any final closing thoughts on on Wolves and how West Ham looked against them? All right. I hope that they play that game in training, that they they play it on repeat, and they just show this is what you look like. Because I'm not sure if they have the awareness to realize that they were playing badly. But every single person watching that could just see we looked, we were second to everything, and that's just not good enough. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think that's a good place to end it here. Uh, when we come back in segment two, we're going to answer, uh, I think, one question that we got that was pretty detailed on Twitter, and then we'll jump into uh, our uh, our look ahead, or sorry, look back on the transfer window that was, rate how West Ham did in it and how Premier League teams did, and what our general thoughts are. So keep it tuned to the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, segment two. We'll start with, uh, with our question here. We left it late, uh, and basically only got one but it's from the ever faithful at the hollander new orleans hammer here so thank you for your question we appreciate it uh his question is pellegrini's system relies on overlapping wingers slash fullbacks tricky incisive passing in the box inverted wingers shooting from angles 20 yards out and intelligent defense have we done this can we do this uh to this question uh there was one answer and it was bob hope and no hope so i don't think wayne morris uh agrees with that but it's interesting because we kind of 
we got a sniff of this play of how Pellegrini wants to play, and it came in the match uh, against away at Everton uh, early in the season when Yarmolenko had his brace. Uh, it was beautiful. It was perfect. It was everything you wanted to see. Arnautovic looked fiery. Uh, Yarmolenko was taking the ball out wide, and was yeah, he he actually had a, an inverted winger type goal where he cut across the top of the box, fake shot to get some space, and then put it around the T-Rex Jordan Pickford in net, and, and it was it looked beautiful and. West Ham ran away with that match, despite starting a little bit rocky. But um, I think we can do this. But the key all relies in the squad, right? The the injuries we have are just too much to overcome at the time. Yeah, I mean, we could still be playing closer to it, and I would. Um, I'm disappointed we haven't seen more of maybe like Dean Garner in recent matches because I think where he does offer an inversion on that right-hand side, uh, the same way Anderson does on the left. And I, I, we keep chopping and changing who's out wide that side and who's who's there. So it means that it's the difference between Snodgrass and Diangana, although they're both left-footed players playing on the right, they play in very different ways. Uh, Snodgrass is all about his passing ability, um, his ability to cross the ball. And Dean Garner always seems to want to take on that left back. There's very different types of players in that area, and and then we have Antonio as well, who goes wide right, who's just a right-footed winger, um, whose technical ability is questionable. So we've got three players that are playing very different types of football. Um, whereas when we had Yarmolenko there, there's not a person in football who doesn't know what he's going to do. Um, he's he's going to run down that right wing, and as soon as you let him give, you get your position slightly wrong. He's going to cut back on his left foot and look to be dangerous. Um, so I, I hope we are progressing towards it, but I think Pellegrini could have tried to enforce it a bit more recently. Yeah, so, I yeah, mean, I we completely saw agree there. Asri, uh, so maybe we'll see more of that recently soon. Yeah, and in the formation he's playing, which seems to be now rather than that four-two-two-two-two that we saw earlier, four-four-two, um, he's playing with a four-two-three-one, and he's giving you know credence to there being a type of player like Nasri or Lanzini eventually, or Robert Snodgrass in, in uh, Nasri's absence to play in the midfield and and run play essentially. Uh, and get the ball out wide for those wingers to invert and get Arnautovic passing and, and playing off of that that number 10 in the middle. So I, I think that there, all of the blueprint is there for it. Like you said, could things be drilled harder? Yes, I think they do need to be, as you also said. But the players are there for it. You can see he brought in Anderson, who plays the left side with the right foot dominant. Uh, with right foot dominant, he brought in Yarmolenko, plays the right side, left foot dominant, and he kept Arnautovic up top. And he brought he brought in Lucas Perez, who he didn't have any um, recent experience with, but he's basically an in the box poacher, which you would tend to believe would be cleaning up rebounds, crosses, shots, things like that, uh, that come from playing that inverted winger style. I think also uh, the idea was to have Mazuaku and Ryan Fredericks as her overlapping wingbacks or fullbacks. And Fredericks got injured. I think he has a lot of potential to still do that. But Mazuaku, I don't know what happened with him. He, he doesn't want to be a, wing, a, a defender anymore. Uh, he can't be a defender anymore. So that sort of strips that away from the team. But I think we're, we kind of agree here where the play is there. We see it at times, but when times get tough and then we end up putting Andy Carroll on, the, 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 the game plan falls apart and it just basically turns into lump the ball into the box and try and find a head, right? Oh, yeah, this is what I'm saying is that uh, maybe it's part of the players we've got. Like you say, Andy Carroll, uh, Perez just has been, just been pretty poor this season. Um, but when you've got to change every time change of person there's no there's no ability to be consistent so when we take if we were looking to take Anderson or if Anderson was injured for a bit I don't know who's going to be on our left wing to play that same kind of role maybe you have to bring Zande Silver or Nathan Holland um, but then if you take Arnie off we've got either got Carroll in the middle Hernandez or Perez none of them are similar players so you have to change your style and it means that it's very choppy every time you want to to make a personnel change, and you might want to make a personnel change for a number of reasons, uh, not just like not just to change up. I mean, there's always Carroll is good in the fact that if you want to suddenly just play lumpy balls in, yeah, you can put him on and tell your players that. But if you're trying to play the same style and you put Carroll on, 
he is he's he, he, what, 25% useful in that regard because he he has one game plan and that's it. You have to get diagonals into him and cross the ball into him. That's it. He's not going to do a nice little fancy passing and, or sort of take on a man outside the box, get in there and finish it. That, he's just not going to do it. Yeah, it, it's just right now there's two, there's two sides to the West Ham coin and they're not really working off of each other. So I, we all knew this was going to be a, a two, you know, a two or sorry, a three year plan. Uh, we're just over halfway through year one and people are already calling for crazy things. So uh, I, I, I just think we all need to exhale. We're not going to be in a relegation battle this year. We can just sort of focus on getting healthy, playing smart and having players learn how to play their positions the way Pellegrini wants them to is should be the target for this year. Stay up, get as high as you can. If we win, we're in eighth place or tied for eighth place right now, barring uh, Leicester City uh, in their match against Manchester United. So you never know how things can work out for this team. There's still lots of season left, lots of games left. And, you know, there's nothing to really hang your head about right now other than recent the recent performance against Wolves and being out of the FA Cup. Just simplify everything and you sort of dictate players' uh, positions based on how they are going to play in Pellegrini's system and try and, you know, accentuate them that way. Um, so, Scott, let's look, ahead, let's look back, rather, on some transfer window news. Uh, for West Ham, it was Samir Nasri on a free transfer, uh, the worst-kept secret in the Premier League, uh, who trained with West Ham for a month and a half before signing. And it was uh, Mazake Ju. Uh, Portuguese 19-year-old winger slash striker uh, who came from Benfica on a free deal. Uh, the deal basically works that if West Ham sells them, half the money will go to Benfica, which is terrific. Um, out of 10, what are you giving West Ham on their window? And why? Uh, um, I mean, we did add a quality, an experienced player, uh, and we have added some youth, but I feel it's probably I'd probably give it three or four out of ten um we had some areas that potentially needed looking at and we didn't we haven't got in a new center back uh we haven't got in an extra midfielder central midfielder and uh, that's not going to play deep enough to sort of cover if no more rice get injured or drop in out of form uh and we haven't uh or well, i don't know maybe even a left back but what we're what we have done is okay. Um, I'm not like naturally. I think he's a good player, and uh, Ju I think could be. I think he has he has potential. Uh, so who knows? Uh, that could be one way or another. It could be a brilliant transfer. It could we could be seeing him go uh, back to uh, Portugal soon uh, in a couple of years uh, for a minimal fee. I don't know. It's it's very much a case of that that one's all up in the air. Uh, I just. I said at the start of the transfer window that we didn't really need to do too much, but that was when Balboina was uh, or at least coming back soon. Um, but now the sur- I think the surgery changed that. I think uh, I X think, said two to four weeks today. Yeah, still, still a long time to be without the man who's like keeping any semblance of organisation in your defence. Um, then you got uh, the way the Arnautovich transfer thing was handled. Uh, I mean, I think we kind of did all right with it. I think uh, maybe the best of the bad situation. I hate selling a player for less than we valued him just because he wants to leave. Yeah. So we, at least we avoided doing that. Uh, but yeah, we had our effectively had our transfer window completely changed halfway through with the surgery to Balbuena and the Arnautovic struggle. So if I was judging, if I if you told me at the start of the window we only signed two players and we got two players we have, I probably wouldn't have minded too much. But I think we, I don't think we reacted. I don't think we reacted at all well to the situation going wrong. Yeah, and I think that I think that their West Ham would have been more um, active in the, in the market if this whole mess with Arnautovic didn't happen. I think you would have seen a little bit more um, care taken to finding loans that would have worked out well. But for two, the last two weeks of January, it had been an absolute mess for Pellegrini, for the board trying to figure out a deal, uh, for you know everyone related to it. The team suffered, obviously, as we know, but I think that there was just so much going on that it pulled the, the decisions sort of out of the hands of the team at that point. And before Arnautovic could get settled, 
uh, or until Arnautovic could get settled and stay, it was either staying or going decidedly, then you sort of can focus on the actual team and where you need to fix it, and it just left too little time. Something that I think you and I agree on here, uh, and we can talk about it, is uh, West Ham not jumping in and getting people for the sake of getting people, aka panic loans or panic buys in January. Um, and the big name that sort of brought this all up was Mitchie Batuai. Uh, he ended up going to Crystal Palace on. Uh, he, he went to Crystal Palace on a loan for the rest of the year. Uh, his wage demands for coming to West Ham were 160k per week or 170k per week, uh, which would make him our highest paid player, a player who's never done anything in the Premier League, uh, who was also coming off of an extremely disappointing loan spell at Valencia. So it wasn't worth it. West Ham, uh, Pellegrini declined even having interest in him. Uh, so maybe, maybe it's all, uh, as X warned in his, in his uh, transfer deadline day show, maybe it's all talk from the agents to try and stir up deals for their players but he also went to crystal palace for a two million pound transfer fee for a loan which would have been eight million pounds if they were go if he was going to tottenham i'm i wanted batuai to come to west ham simply as the player as soon as wages get involved at such an inflated rate I'm out. Wash your hands of it. It's completely ridiculous. And the same goes for K- Gary Cahill, who won 130k per week to join a team and w- and turned down Juventus because they wouldn't pay that. Completely ridiculous from these players. Uh, yeah, I mean, it shows how little game time does mean to some players. So, for example, like Gary Cahill, I I would have I wouldn't have minded play, paying a, a decent amount of money for Gary Cahill because I think he would have come in in front of Ogbonna and done what we need him to do in terms of organised Diop. Uh, I think he would have got some decent work out of Diop and he would have been, I mean, he's not particularly mobile anymore, but he would have been solid. Um, But the fact that he's commanding over 100k a week in his current state, he hasn't played for Chelsea for God knows how long. Um, Or if he has, it's been bit appearances. They've got three or four players who are miles above him. Uh, and the same for Batshuayi is a bit of a different one. I, I still find it weird that Chelsea are rotating strikers like there's no tomorrow and they haven't thought maybe we'll give Batshuayi a go. With a new manager uh, too. Yeah, it's uh, it, 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 Chelsea are a strange club in the number of players they have on loan. It's 40, very weird. 42, I believe. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. 42 players out on loan. Um, uh, also, so, for, for Gary Cahill, he's played 21 minutes that all came in one game in the Premier League this season. Uh, and he played two full 90-minute matches in the EFL Cup, the third and the fourth round, uh, which he played, which he captained the team for. Both were wins. Yeah. Oh, uh, he's not, he's, it, the fact we could offer effectively playing for the next month, he'd be in the first team. Gary Cahill or something like that or I mean, the idea he would turn down going to Juve for half a season when they're going to win so much um, so they're going to win the Serie A they're going to win or they're going to be there or thereabouts in the Champions League so the idea of turning that down to sit at Chelsea and earn money is yeah it's, it's not a particularly great um, show for him uh, but Bachelor is a strange one because I say at one I, I'm confused about Chelsea learning him out again but he did well at Dortmund but he had a poor one at uh, was it Valencia I think he was at yeah and then so I mean I'm not I don't mind bringing him in if he comes in around Hartwell but if he came in with wage demands about 60 70 grand I would have taken him I would have said yep let's get him because he doesn't he doesn't play over a fit and firing Arnie um, but he does offer a fairly comparable style of play he's probably a little bit less strength based and more uh, pace mm-hmm. than Arnautovic but he will he's still dynamic forward he would be running in behind and he's decent enough in the air he has that all round gameplay so yeah I mean I agree if if you remove any of the wages uh, I probably would have taken him but the wages the form and the fact that he was demanding like to be paid all that much to join us he's a little bit disconnected from what it actually takes to make I don't think I think, don't think he's a bad player I just don't I, I don't know he hasn't been consistent make, enough to, to sort of demand those those sort of things 
Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like, so if, he, if he was just coming back from that Dortmund loan, uh, where he did score, he scored over a goal uh, every two, like, over a goal every two games, which is probably where I sort of draw my line as a striker. I want my striker to be scoring a goal in every other game um, on average. And he was doing it at Dortmund. So, yeah, I probably would have taken a punt on him then. Maybe not at 160 grand a week, because that's absolutely crazy. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think I think we did well by not... Or we did the right thing by not getting him, or not being interested, apparently. But he could he could still be impressive at Crystal Palace, but, uh, as I say, he's yet to do anything in the uh, in the Premier League. So... Who knows? Uh, now, I want to ask you a question here, just sort of generic on the transfer window, uh, and I'll give you my answer as well. But is, are there any players that you are jealous of that a team got that West Ham didn't get in the mix on? A deal that you would have liked to see West Ham end up on the other end of? Um, I don't know. Um, I haven't. This January w- window was a little bit like. Just a little lackluster, a- yeah. Yeah, I think it was the first time that, um, well, first time that Premier League spending in January has fallen since 2012, and I don't know. I think uh, I, I think there's think a lot more loan moves going on. Yeah, I mean, I would. I, I think Dennis Suarez to Arsenal was going to be an interesting one. Uh, he could do uh, very well there. Um, actually, getting some game time, uh, which he's actually. Uh, he's actually taken that decision, so it's probably a good one for him. Uh, I'm not apart from that. I'm not particularly sure what else you got. I mean, got some weird Ryan yeah, Babel. It's not really, it's not really weird. Although Babel's looked great so far. Uh, I didn't watch him today, but I watched Fulham's last two matches, and he looked really good, uh, uh, barring his haircut. But he looks good. Uh, he provides a lot of pace to that left side. I think something they thought. Uh, Sessegnon would continue to do, but he has been a non-factor for Fulham this year, which is crazy to think. Um, but the one deal I'm really, really jealous of, and I think it'll help uh, the team a lot, is Yori Tielemans, Tielemans coming from Monaco uh, to Leicester. He yeah. is uh, a great player. I don't, I can't say I know too, too much about him, um, but he is you know, Belgium international. I think he's 21 years old. Coming up through that legendary Monaco uh, academy and, and playing there, it hasn't been great with, under uh, Thierry Henry, who got sacked. But that's one where I thought that player is so what West Ham need: a calm, relaxed, smooth passer of the ball, takes it, transitions it well, finds the outlets, and follows up play. And, and I really am jealous of that because I think he'll fit in. He'll fit in really well there. So um, if they can turn that in, if he if he turns into something great and, and they can turn him into a permanent deal, I think that that's someone to watch out for uh he also chips in it he's he scored five goals in 20 appearances this season for monaco um and he joined them from underlake in 2017 so uh Anderlecht is uh, another strong academy that produces a lot of solid players west ham got uh the next patrick vieira from them uh who is uh, chekukiate so um that's one I, I missed just because we obviously need um a midfielder. I never understood why everyone was like, "Oh, West Ham need to get a striker. West Ham need to get a striker." Our best, you know, upcoming striker isn't even making the squad anymore. We have room for Zande Silva to be there, so I don't get it. Well, I say, I think, uh, I think at the start, of the, at the start of the January transfer window, I had absolutely no interest in a striker whatsoever. Um, but then we had the Arnie thing, Perez, and Chicharito both want to leave. Um, so I was all for removing Perez and Chicharito if we could and getting a decent striker in to challenge Arnie because I thought that would do two things one get rid of two strikers that didn't want to play for us and bring in some competition to keep Arnie going because he doesn't seem to care because he knows if he's fit is he really keeping him out of the squad uh, yeah, I mean, uh, maybe Hernandez, when he's playing well, does, if, if Arnie's off form or injured. But, yeah, when they're both fully fit and on, on similar form, Arnie starts, he's more versatile. So, uh, if you bought someone in there, then maybe. But, yeah, it's uh, um, a tough one. I mean, maybe we needed... Uh, I, would, I, say, I really would have liked to get centre-back in. Um, yeah. Because uh, every time I've gone a 
that someone runs towards that runner or the ball floats in towards him, I just get very nervous. Or set pieces, I just feel like we're going to concede on every single one. I say, I think people don't under like, don't understand how important certain players are at set pieces. And if you've got someone who's in charge and shouting at you to mark, mark your man and just making sure you're on them, because when you're trying to mark a set piece, you've got to watch the ball, you've got to watch your man, and if you slip focus for a little bit, suddenly you're half a yard behind and there's nothing you can do. Um, so if someone is there keeping that focus in, it really helps. And I've yeah, kind of doesn't have that yeah and the 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 attackers are focusing on the ball and they're focusing on the net they don't have to worry about marking anybody they just need to get to the ball first which is simplified um i'm gonna run off some names and some teams here and you let me know uh what you think of it and if you think it's a good deal for the team or a good move for the team so we'll start with uh miguel almiron to newcastle for 20 million pounds do you think that's going to work out for the magpies yeah, I think he's an uh, an interesting, exciting player. And the big thing for them is they've finally broken the transfer record that's been there for like 12 years or something crazy. And so it, it maybe shows a little bit of interest from Mike Ashley um, and potentially uh, a way forward for Benitez because he's done exceptionally well given the squad they have. And um, yeah, I think he could be a decent addition. Yeah, I watched them play this morning, and I, I like watching Newcastle play. They, they tend to tear up West Ham, but I, I was talking to the guys from uh, Newcastle Tunes, another fan-sided site, and it just feels right that Newcastle's in the Premier League. It doesn't feel right when they're not there. The same kind of goes for Aston Villa. Say what you will about the team and the history and whatnot, but it seems weird when they're not in the Premier League. So um, we'll, we'll move on here. Uh, Fulham got uh, Lazar Markovic from, uh, from Liverpool for free. Uh, thoughts on that? I think it's another good addition to add pace on the wing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a strange... I think it was something only like a six-month deal. Yeah. Uh, it's a very strange uh, circumstance around it, but he could be very good. I've seen... There's, there's been signs where he's been incredibly good, uh, but then also other times where he's been like less than average uh, in every regard. So I don't know. What about uh, Havard Nordvite returning to the to the Premier League, going to Fulham this time? Uh, I never really minded him at no. West Ham. I, I felt I felt he got some uh, uh, bad, bad press because he ended up having to play it right back in Slav's right back roulette <laughs> that was going on. So uh, he looked good yeah, in defensive right midfield. You play him in defensive midfield. Well, yeah, go for it. Uh, he's a decent player there. I mean, he's not he's not exciting or interesting. He will be fairly boring, but that's what you want in that area. So, yeah, I don't think that's a bad deal at all. Uh, Peter Crouch coming to uh, Burnley from Stoke. Perfect for uh, <laughs> for Burnley. They need uh, a potentially another uh, tall man in the box occasionally. So, yeah, uh, why not? Uh, he is the... Um, Premier League tall man, so go for it. Uh, I I don't think he's got much quality in terms of uh, there, there are times where he he's been nominated for goal of the season for some things. So I don't know if he's still got that in him, but I think he's fairly limited now in terms of he's just going to stand in the penalty area and you're just going to have to hit him. Yeah, and maybe in a similar stroke, although he had two goals today. Gonzalo Higuain uh, from Juventus to Chelsea on loan. Uh, he looked, he had a, a great game today, uh, but then again, it was against Huddersfield. So uh, I guess with a grain of salt, you can take that one. But what do you think he'll he'll be a success at Chelsea? Oh, um, yeah, it's a tough one because I think he's a good player. Um, he's decent. He hasn't had a great season so far, but. Is he? Um, and I'm not sure he's the kind of striker that's going to sort of completely change Chelsea's form around. Uh, I don't know if he's too much better than Giroud. Uh, he's probably got a bit more um, quality in front of goal, but I don't. I don't know how dynamic he's going to be in the Premier League. Uh, two goals in his first Premier League start. It's good. Oh, of course, that's good. Uh, but. Yeah, it's very hard to tell whether he's going to be sort of the missing piece that really sort of clicks Sarri ball into um, Chelsea at the moment. 
All right, well, uh, good little chat there. Good, actually, long chat there on uh, <laughs> on our review of the transfer rumors there. We'll come back for a final segment and look ahead to the Liverpool match. All right, so final segment, as always, is our look ahead to the next match. For West Ham, that is the daunting matchup against Liverpool for the second time this season. It'll be at the London Stadium, where West Ham tends to play better all of a sudden. And it'll be against a team that is... A, uh, a strong team, which apparently Mikel Antonio believes West Ham played better against. So, uh, what what do you when you think about this game upcoming here, Scott? What is your first thought that comes to mind? Uh, well, I mean, when I really thought about it after Wolves, I mean that that's terrible. If we play anything like we did against Wolves, uh, we will get torn asunder. There will be no rest. Because they've got a dynamic front three, they've got a midfield three that will press and make every mistake. Um, something that is just, uh, yeah, we would have to play three, four times as well as we did against Wolves to even make a dent in this Liverpool side. I mean, they've looked a little bit more uh, cagey recently, but then if they get a goal in the first ten minutes, all of that suddenly just a bit more relaxed. They're they're a bit more settled and we will have to play well to even have a sniff of getting just not getting trounced so yeah I I agree I'm just the one word that comes to mind for me is tense Uh, it'll be uh, a very high stakes matchup because West Ham players as Sam Ingersoll actually said something that was very funny Basically, that West Ham players have backed themselves into a corner to perform well here by saying yeah. that they're a big a big game team, um, which I mean we have no we have no sort of uh, proof of that. But seeing a lot of he says this uh, he tweeted this six hours ago. Seeing a lot of West Ham players saying the team has been complacent in recent games because they play better against big teams, making a rod for their own backs if they get stuffed by Liverpool on Monday. So uh, <laughs> you love to hear it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't disagree. They looked. They, we won against Manchester United, albeit under Mourinho. Uh, we drew Chelsea at home uh, in a very good game. Yarmolenko should have had a goal in that one, which is frustrating. Uh, other than that, you know, we played Tottenham close, I guess. But it, it's it's an interesting matchup here. I don't know that I that I love our odds in it. Uh, in the piece coming up for uh, for Green Street Hammers in our prediction piece, I had West Ham at three to one losing the match. And uh, Andy Carroll getting a, a headed goal off a set piece. So uh, chances are that'll be late in the match. Uh, I do think that we're going to see a different team lineup. Who do you think is going to start at striker? I don't think they're going to risk Arnautovic for this one. No, I think Arnie's out for the next couple of weeks at heavy bruise. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, um, I don't think, given we're probably going to be playing on the counter attack against uh, Liverpool I bet you can't play Carroll uh, because he could be on the halfway line when we start our counter attacks and he'd be 20 yards behind the attack by the time we got to the box so it's I don't yeah you can't play it you can't play Carroll if you're playing any kind of counter attack you might play maybe he goes 4-4-2 and sticks uh, Carroll and uh, Chicharito up front uh, and has your classic okay we're going to every time we get the ball we're going to lump it along to Carroll and Chicharito is going to run around and see if he can get a goal. I don't know. Uh, I think Chicharito is most likely to be involved. I think he's the most... He's got more about him than Perez, and um, he does have that pace. Maybe it could trouble the Liverpool defence. But then Van Dijk has been outstanding uh, signing for them. Uh, He looks really solid, and pretty much whoever he's next to uh, looks solid because of him. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I I almost think that they're going to do sort of 4-5-1 and have Antonio in the middle to just chase down balls that they sling up there. He's looked um, more to his regular self in recent weeks where he's running and uh, not looking completely gassed after one sprint, which he, he looked like that under David Moyes and Slavin Bilic. But um, he, he he's your best bet at just chasing down balls. Maybe you stick Giangana on on the right. You clog the midfield with Snodgrass and Noble and Rice, and you have Obiang as a late game substitution. Should someone, not should, if and when someone will pick up a yellow card against a team that uh, is so strong in the midfield, it could just be basically like you said, a boring game, but but one that West Ham sort of need to tighten up the the hinges defensively and and sort of weather the storm. 
Yeah, I'd say for, uh, for me, I I would, given the way we played recently, I I massive fan of Dean Garner. I want him playing on the right hand side. I think he adds a lot of pace and directness to our game. Uh, I know he'd be up against Robertson, but it's kind of it's always tough in these situations because do you go we put a defensive um, right midfielder in there to cope with him, or do you attack him? Because if you attack him, you actually give him something to think about. Uh, you give him reason to be not quite as um, marauding down the left hand side. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I think that's a strong a strong point too. He gets he gets up and attacks so much that you can expose him if you pass him off to a, a midfielder rather than having your winger cover him or your wide midfielder cover him. If you give him to someone like Noble or Rice to sort of make life tough on, all of a sudden Diangana can can gain a yard or two behind him, and on a counter attack, if you lump it up the right side, uh, you're going to sort of poke holes in them. And and there there are some injuries for them. Uh, Trent Alexander Arnold will not be back at right back for them, which means Jordan Henderson is likely to play at right back. Uh, that is an open door for West Ham or James Milner. I think he's back from yellow, uh, red card suspension. So uh, that should be an open door for West Ham to attack through Felipe Anderson. That being said, will it be Naby Keita? Will it be Fabinho who, who gets stuck back there to sort of bail the team out? Uh, you never know with uh, with how versatile this team is. But one thing you can be sure of is they're going to counterattack West Ham on any possession that the Irons have. And they're going to sort of try to do that build-up play by... Having the pincer attack of Sané and Salah, sorry, Mane and Salah on the outside and drop Firmino back in the middle of the pitch to sort of pick out those runs. He tends to always pick up a goal, so it's hard to say exactly what the score will be. But should we do our, our, our usual combined 11 and see if West Ham can sneak up into uh, into steal any spots from Liverpool? Uh, well, I think it might be easier if we just work out together who would we pick from West Ham to get in that Liverpool side. Because... Uh, obviously, I mean they're they're top of the league. I think trying to go through a um, who get their 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 goalkeeper wins. As much I love Fabianski, I think Allison's been massive for them. I think he's made some huge saves. His distribution is incredible. Um, Robertson, right back. Robertson, as well. <laughs> yeah, Robertson's gonna gonna win that every day. But right back, Henderson or Zabaleta, you're probably gonna take Zabaleta. Okay, okay. Yeah. If we're talking the uh, maybe the injured squad, yeah, Zabaleta gets in because I think I think Klopp would love someone like that um, to come in as a reserve for um, Arnold, or um, it would mean that they had someone reliable to come in. Uh, yeah, definitely. What, a, what about Joel Matip or Issa Diop? <sighs> oh, maybe, maybe that one. Um, I think Diop's got a hell of a lot of potential, um, and. Again, alongside someone like Van Dijk would be like playing alongside Balbuena in terms of organisation. Yeah, he's Van very Dijk's strong voice. Yeah, and Balbuena is uh, obviously not the same physical defenders. Um, what's his dad's uh, uh, Van Dijk? But yeah, I think we've got a uh, he would he would work well there, uh, Diop. Now, what about in the defensive midfield? Giorgio Wijnaldum, Naby Keita. Uh, Fabinho or Declan Rice. If you're playing two defensive midfielders, are you? Are you? Is Rice maybe playing alongside Fabinho? I think yeah. I think Rice gets in. Um, yeah, I think for playing two two defensive ones, uh, we heard a lot about Kaita and Fabinho when they were signed. I'm not sure if they. I think Fabinho has lived up to it a bit more than Kaita has. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. I think Liverpool fans will tell you that Rice doesn't get in their side at the moment. Um, maybe he's not as uh, dynamic on the, on the ball, passing-wise, but I think he's a solid uh, defensive midfielder, and that's what should count. I agree. And if we're looking at attack, left side, are you taking Sadio Mane or Felipe Anderson? Well, I like, obviously I love Felipe Anderson, but uh, in terms of someone who's done it consistently, I think he's got something. Uh, Sadio Mane's got 10 goals in every season he's played in the Premier League or he's, he's consistently done it yeah so I don't I don't I don't think you can argue against Mane really as much as I'd love Philippe Anderson to go on and score more goals I think Mane is a more consistent performer and they have uh, Firmino in the middle here of the midfield uh, so do you take Firmino or would you take Robert Snodgrass we can probably glaze over that with Firmino 
Uh, and to the right side, Mikel Antonio or uh, Shakiri. Uh, yeah, I'm taking two Liverpool players there. Um, I think Firmino, Firmino is great uh, sort of wall uh, bounce off. Like he's great at those little uh, intricate passes around the uh, around the Premier uh, around, around the penalty area. <laughs> yeah, area. I get what you're saying. <laughs> uh, and I think Shakiri is one of these weird players. Um, sometimes he's absolutely like dynamite, and other times he wanders around the. One that's around the pitch, like someone stopping his ball, but he's miles better than Mikel Antonio. Yeah. And finally, the striker. They have Mo Salah here up top by himself. Would you take Salah or would you take Arnautovic? Salah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, no conversation. Yeah, uh, you'd asked me two, three years ago, and my reference was Mo Salah at Chelsea. I would have taken Arnautovic, but um, yeah, now he's a. Uh, yeah. Salah's a quality player. I mean, you remove the diving, and I think he's he's absolutely he, he's a wonderful, wonderful player. But um, yeah, maybe both got some attitude issues potentially, but Salah's a very he's a quality player. Yeah, you can't argue that. So it'll it'll be a tough one for West Ham. Uh, I don't know exactly how they're going to line up. We we did talk about that, but um, do you want to give a score prediction about what you think as a little teaser for the article coming out? Oh, I I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be two 0 Liverpool. Two 0 Okay. All right. So, do you think West Ham gets a shot on goal in this one? I hope we get a shot on target at some point uh, because it's been it's been very depressing following <laughs> West Ham recently. Yeah. So. Well, I I'm hopeful that they will as well. I think it's going to be an Andy Carroll nod in from a corner. Uh, you're going to have Jordan Henderson trying to cover him, and it's going to be a mess. Joel Matip's going to drop the coverage. Boom. Can Carroll to the back of the net. It'll be an 89th minute rocket and West Ham will lose 3-1. That's my prediction, but it's a shot on net and it's a goal. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts here, Scott? Uh, no, that's it. I'm hoping for something a bit more cheery next week. Me too. Me too. Until then, thank you for listening to the Green Street Hammers uh, podcast and come on you irons. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.